Welcome everybody to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We're here with episode 10 with a special guest, Ricardo Baca. Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, for I'm sure. I'm a subscriber. And if anybody's <laughs> listening and hasn't subscribed yet, you better hit that button. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anchor and Sound, uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. But anyways, let's introduce Ricardo. He was with the Denver Post for 15 years as a writer and editor. And then in 2013, he became the editor of The Cannabis, which was the first marijuana editorial in the country. Um, And then after that, he showcased himself in Rolling Papers in 2016. You can find that on Netflix, a really cool documentary about the cannabis industry and kind of what happened in Denver and how Ricardo helped bring that about. And then he's also been on shows like Larry King, CNN. Um, he's all over the place, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm most proud of Larry King. You're most proud of Larry King. There you go. That's a class. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. And now, uh, for the last 13 months, he's been running Grasslands Agency here in the Mile High City, uh, marketing, social media, public relations, editorials. I don't know what else. <sighs> all things. <laughs> The newsletters, the PR, the marketing, the content, yeah, all of the fun stuff. It's uh, it's a blast over here. Awesome. All right. Well, with that said, I think we're just going to get started. If you want to give yourself a brief introduction, you're more than welcome, and we'll go from there. No, I think you did a great you job. Right I think I'm seriously psyched to be here with you. Um, fan of the podcast, but also fan of both of you as individuals. So, oh. thanks for having me on. That is very nice of you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Fan of you as well. I think it's ironic. I'll start off with this, get all the, the gushy stuff out of the way. But it's so ironic that back in 2016, when I was about to graduate college, I was looking for the cannabis industry and had no clue, got my badge. And so I started trying to just educate myself as quickly as possible. So I went to Netflix, and it's funny that I came across your documentary and watched you. And so it's so ironic now that now, as I'm like two years later, starting my own journey of trying to develop the podcast and see where I end up in this mix, to be sitting down with you on the podcast that's still kind of fresh and <laughs> knowing that it all started with me watching a documentary on you. And so thank you for that. I mean, it's all kind of built up to this. So It's kind of wild, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm reminded you guys had my colleague Chloe on a couple of weeks ago and uh, when she was interviewing for the job at Grassland, she was like, you know, hey, so I was in Pennsylvania and wanting to get into the weed industry and talking with Shauna when she was at her previous uh, agency, and now both Shauna and Chloe are here, obviously, but she's like, yeah, you know, and my number one read was The Cannabis, and it is surreal to know that I'm going to be working with you, and, you know, everything comes full circle, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about this industry is we're still in that nascent era. We're still so young that we can have stories like Chloe and I and Jared and I, and sure, <laughs> it makes total sense somehow, even though it's kind of kooky. Yeah. It is, yeah. And I think that just tells you like how how quickly things evolve, how quickly things change, and the people have all come together to now just like create, create, keep creating the future. Um, I think that's what I enjoy the most is everybody's so collaborative. You like meet people, and we all realize that it's so new, but we all want to help each other get to wherever it's going to go. Well, we all need up. each other to get where we need to go, really. It's true, you know, there, uh, I mean, the, one of the strangest things about this industry, and I don't think it will always remain this way, but this construct of sharing is caring, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways it's a cliche, right? But it's a cliche about weed cultures and cannabis aficionados, 
but it kind of bleeds into the industry in this crazy way, at least in these early days. Of course, some people are here for the money, and it's very obvious that's all they give a shit about. Yep. Um, but a lot of us are here um, practicing something that's incredibly important to us and central to our individual missions. And, you know, I mean, I know you, we've had this conversation, Jared, and you and I too, Lucy, but I mean, seriously. I wasn't consuming cannabis six years ago. I didn't know much about it. And now I know that whatever I do for the rest of my life, um, drug policy will be at the center of it. And this has become a major passion for me. And I think so long as you are passionate about the cause then, and you're doing things for the right reason, um, then sharing is caring. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be doing people's podcasts and inviting people, you know, who you've never met yeah. before to your so office cool. parties and <laughs> things like that. And so it is kind of a magical thing about legal cannabis in 2018. And I would bet money that it's not going to be the same two years, five years from now. Not at all. Definitely. So relish it while it's here, but <clears throat> it'll definitely change. And I think it'll change for the better, though, at, at the end of the day. I mean, everything always kind of sorts itself out. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's a good lead into to that. So, you're a man with vision, for sure. You attract people with vision to you. Um, so, what is your vision in the next five to ten years for the cannabis industry? I mean, maybe even like a short-term vision since it changes so rapidly. Like, what do you see happening? Oh, dude. Yeah, I, that's a big question, but let's talk about the near future. Because I think there are some outlying considerations and... And, and, and concerns that we need to figure out soon. And it's great to see progress on subjects like public consumption and social use. I mean, how embarrassing is it that we are sitting here nearly six years after Amendment 64 first passed and where can we legally consume <laughs> cannabis? Yeah. I mean, let's, you wanna get me depressed, let's talk about that. But I mean, just in the last five months, oh my God, we have, tasting rooms and consumption lounges in the city of San Francisco and if you've not been to Barbary Coast holy hell check it out because <laughs> I was speaking at the San Francisco Chronicle a couple of months ago and David Downs their their previous cannabis editor directed me across the street he's like go there and she, he was exactly right it blew my mind and now the city of West Hollywood and SoCal mm-hmm. you know home to potentially the most open-minded consumption law in in the game and I know at least three people who are going for those licenses right now and meanwhile here we are in Denver pioneering Colorado home to the world's first social use law you know initiative 300 passed I mean what almost 18 months ago and still nothing to show for it and it's so incredibly frustrating and you know this is not those activists fault who pushed forward this uh, initiative, this ballot initiative. This is not their fault. I think Colorado has been incredibly short-sighted mm-hmm. in how it's regulated this. And, and in fact, I can, I can share a story here that I don't know if I've ever told publicly, but I was in a meeting with a high-ranking regulator in Colorado in mid-2014, and it was the first time we were meeting. And she's like, well, what do you think, you know? Great conversation, great coffee, two hours, and this is kind of at the end, so I'm feeling kind of comfortable. And I was like, well, I'm curious what you think about the problem of public consumption. And she's like, well, I don't think it's a problem. 
And I was like, wait, I mean, we have a law that, that makes this legal. You can buy it if you're over 21. Where are you supposed to consume it, yep. mm-hmm. um, especially if you don't own a home? Mm-hmm. I'm lucky enough to have bought a house in this crazy Denver real estate market 15, 16 years ago. But if you don't, your options are extremely limited. So in the near future, I want to see us get real about implementing sensible social use rules, regulations, laws, legislation. Let's get this out of the way. It is not the boogeyman it's been made out to be. And we're starting to see that. Like, I I don't even do a lot of Snapchat or uh, Instagram stories because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at it yet. But I did my first one sitting inside Barbary Coast just to show everybody. I'm like, you guys. This is so cool. Like how it's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's also not cool. Right. It's so normal. Yeah, it's like, it's you're like sitting, normal, right? You're sitting in a <laughs> And it should be shop. normal. That's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. You know, and yeah, it should be normal. But really, I, I've always kind of, I, I don't know, throughout those years of journalism covering this industry, I've always felt like this is going to go in stages and would watch it with every implemented market that comes about. You know, first you have legalization, and then you have normalization, and then you have commercialization. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are experiencing an, a very awkward growing um, growing spurt right now, this legal cannabis industry. And, and commercialization is, is, is definitely setting in, and it's making yep. a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, the suits have always been here, but now... Now Wall Street's here. Yeah. Now pharma, alcohol, nicotine, tobacco is here. And um, but even then, we're not quite done with normalization yet, and and that won't be done for decades. But I mean, you're right because when things become normalized, they become kind of boring. Mm-hmm. But sitting in that cannabis lounge in San Francisco, hitting my vape pen, um, surrounded by people doing dabs and. Uh, smoking joints and eating edibles and not just getting obliterated out of their minds but just consuming responsibly it couldn't have been more normal or more boring (laughs) and I loved it that's great and at the same time here we are in the golden triangle neighborhood of Denver (laughs) and it's like cool good luck finding a place to legally consume around here especially if you're not home definitely so that's okay. Near term. What do you guys think the chances are of that, us figuring this out in the next year or two? I mean, especially in this state. Yeah, that's my Mark biggest. Is. Yeah, that's been our biggest feed, I think, for sure. We just had Andrew from Top Shelf Bud Tending on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about responsible social consumption and all the laws and the background behind that as well. And it's frustrating, you know. I mean, we've passed these laws that it's legal, but yet there's no place for you to go consume. Or I teach cannabis yoga classes. It's an amazing healing benefit for people, and we literally, there's no spaces like you can't find spaces and it's frustrating for sure so hopefully um you know in the next couple years i think especially you know if california is going to take a big strong stance on it colorado is going to have to react as well so that's going to have to push them forward um i don't know about the tasting laws i mean jared has opinion about that for sure and the dispensaries so that's going to be interesting to see how that goes down although let me jump in and disagree real quick respectfully course but i think if california does this which they are and nevada will do this in the very near future i don't think colorado gives a shit about what they're doing yeah well it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt our market though you know what i mean everybody's gonna jump ship and go to california or vegas well i think it's already hurt our market and and ultimately when it comes to a regulator's point of view you you tell them and it's like hey other other legal markets that haven't been around for nearly as long as we have are moving beyond us in certain areas and their response will be so yeah yeah well i mean that's just what i tell people there's a great divide in the east and the west and that goes i mean just that's like a pretty macro view of it that like i'm 
like North Carolina, all the liquor stores are government controlled. Here you got drive-through liquor stores in Colorado. So that just shows you how different areas regulate differently. Do you think Colorado cares that North Carolina is government controlled? No. Do you think North Carolina cares that Colorado has drive-through liquor stores? No, they don't. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. It's just all their local rule and how they view things. Um, and that's where I was trying to. We talked to Andrew with the butt tending and talking about social consumption and tasting rooms and stuff. I was trying to be optimistic and say, hey, at least you got one. It's a step. So okay, we got a step. Let's just support that, perfect it, see how close we can get. And the next step is social consumption for everybody. Sure. Um, that's a positive viewpoint. When's it going to come? I don't know, but it's still a step. Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point. And, and Colorado is losing Andrew because of these strict <laughs> social use laws. You know, yeah. he's moving to Nevada, as I'm sure he talked about. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and now maybe that's just where everybody's got to be focused on their end goal. You know, if they want to follow that, then you're going to have to follow where that's at, like Andrew's doing. So making mm-hmm. a smart move. Um, and other people, the same thing. If that's what you want, you got to go after it. Um, you can't wait around for Colorado to change the rules. Just take, you know, fly to the opportunity there. Exactly. I'm with you. Um, but I like the vision though. It's interesting. I like the what you said about what did you say legalization, normalization, commercialization. So I think maybe I mean I'd like to get your input on it. I think we're at normalization. We're halfway through, and now we're starting to see commercialization. And there's a huge growing pain. I mean, I hear it all the time. And um, I work on obviously a commercial production facility in Los Sueños, and we're pretty yeah. large. And every day we're trying to run it like a real business and do it the right way. I think the days of it being just all fun and games are kind of behind us, but we still have a lot of fun there. But at the same time, respect that this is a business, it's a very competitive market, and we've got to run it as competitively as possible to compete and stay alive and give people what they want. Um, and so I do see that as being the future in Colorado. There's still a lot of resistance to it, though. Do you have any remarks on that? I mean, is that one of those things you just hang on and have to go for the ride? Or? Oh, yeah. You know, we have... I mean, we do have a say, we do have power. Thankfully, we live in a state where we have ballot initiatives and that whole process because many people do not have access to that kind of change, Mm -hmm. you know, including New Jersey. Um, But going back to what you were saying about normalization, I would even argue that like Colorado, we're not even 10% into the normalization game because it is, it is, it is hella normalized compared to pre-election 2012 or even pre-medical becoming regulated in 2008 2009 but when you travel you know you're in california you're in holland you're in spain and you see what true normalization looks like where you're sitting next to somebody at a bar like i was we took rolling papers the documentary down to uh, mill valley film festival years ago mill valley is outside of san francisco and the day before our screening, I think we had gone to a film festival party, and afterward, uh, we went to a bar, and me and the director are just having a drink. Some dude sits next to me, never met him in my life, and he's like, oh, you know, just starts talking to me, friendly guy, and what do you do? I was like, oh, I write about cannabis for a newspaper, and he's like, oh, cool. I just got into these dabs. What do you think about <laughs> the shatter and the wax? And I'm just like, wow, this is the second thing you've ever said to me, and you're telling me that you're a concentrates yeah. consumer, which is great. And I'm like, that has never happened to me in Colorado. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I write about weed for the post. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, you get a lot of looks. You get a lot of, oh. Yeah. yeah. And certainly it's changed since then. Thankfully it's changed. Um, I just think normalization will take a long, long time. I mean, you know, 
only comparing them substance to substance, because of course they're very different, but you know, certain parts of, of the U.S. even have very different attitudes toward alcohol these days. Right. You know, dry counties and all of that fun stuff. So I think it's, uh, I think we have a long way to go, and that should be totally expected. But next, this awkward phase of commercialization, and we're talking about massive marijuana dispensaries on Fifth Avenue in New York. Right. And we're seeing alcohol get into the game, pharma, you know, as we were talking about earlier, but you know, all crazy valuations and the Canadian export market. And I mean, Canada's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is absolutely nuts. But I think that's like near term vision. I think in the long term, that's where it really gets exciting in terms of what awaits us five, 10 years out. You know, I mean, from a policy perspective, from a culture perspective and, 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 you know, in relation to our relationship and, with this plant and the culture surrounding it. I think there's a lot of exciting things on the forefront that I'm excited about. I think cannabis is just so far reaching that it's hard to really know like which area it's really going to be the strongest in. Is it going to be the medical aspect Mm -hmm. of it? Is it going to be the sustainability aspect of it or all the different products you can produce out of hemp? Um, Or is it going to be the the culture changing aspect that really is the defining moment maybe later on where somebody looks at this as like a, like a sixties movement or something. Mm that's what I like. I can't pin down like what it's going to be yet because it's still so like fresh and everything's changing so rapidly that it's hard to know that which part's going to be the most active part that comes out of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, <laughs> and it doesn't help that you know we've just been exposed to all the misinformation of the last eight decades. Absolutely, so, yeah. Really, I mean, if you haven't in the last five years completely reset your entire mindset around this substance and this this plant, then you're not doing yourself any good because, you know, imagine just having your brain filled with all this garbage, you know, without taking out the garbage and then starting fresh with this fresh, clean slate, you know, um, then, then you're just left with a brain full of garbage and, and Lord knows we can't, (laughs) that's like a bad hangover. We can't get anything done with that. Yeah. So so in terms of that, so let's tie it into the millennials. So where do you think millennials fit into the cannabis industry in the next five years or so? Because I feel like the millennials don't have that perspective that past generations did about cannabis and stoners and all the negative connotations. I feel like millennials are much more accepting of the plant and they're more eager to be in the industry. So kind of where do we fit in into this whole bigger picture? Well, yeah, and that's a good question. And let's just start with like the, the beauty of being a millennial in modern America, but also the dangerous pitfalls of being a millennial, uh, specifically around this conversation. Um, the beauty, you know, if you are 26, 27 or younger, you've never known a world without legal marijuana. You've always known, whether you were paying attention or not, that there was this medical bill out in California that passed that had a very liberal system for legal cannabis. and and. When you compare that to your older peers as well as your parents, I mean, it's night and day to what this Mm -hmm. used to be. And that kind of leads directly into the dangerous uh, pitfalls of being that age is like, you take it for granted. Oh, it's always been legal. Your friend in California, your cousin in San Francisco has always had access to a, not a regulated product, but certainly a product that you could legally buy over a counter Mm -hmm. from any number of 
thousands of dispensaries or delivery services. Mm -hmm. And I think it's necessary in this industry and this community of, of, you know, cannabis aficionados and stoners and all of us to recognize the history here. Because if you don't, then you're doing a disservice to everybody around you. And I was thankful to learn that early on in my own relationship with weed, which is still relatively new. You know, if you don't know the, the, the name Dennis Perone or Steve D'Angelo, um, you know, that's uh, Ed Rosenthal. That's, yeah. that's a significant problem. And you need to go back and study this shit because it's important. And I think it's our responsibility. If we're going to benefit from newly liberalized legalization laws, um, then we should understand what got us here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But um, I guess then to your question, I mean, five years, 10 years, how will, uh, how will millennials ben- benefit from this industry? Is that your question? How, how do they fit into the industry? You know, I mean, we're, we're going to start having a bunch more investors and people coming in. So those are probably likely older generations. Sure. So kind of where do the millennials fit into this? Or how do you see them benefiting the industry? Or what are their assets or something like that? Well, I, I mean, I, I have a number of millennials working here at Grasslands. And, and they bring so much to the equation. It's just unreal because it's perspective. And I think... Um, you know, that's where my mind initially goes with this conversation. <clears throat> they bring a necessary perspective and a, a level of realism that I think gets lost among older generations. You know, I'm 41, and so I bring my own baggage to this conversation. But thankfully, I was thrown into the uncanny position where studying marijuana and writing about it became my full-time job for for a number of years and yeah. so I was incredibly lucky there so I was able to shift my mindset but most people my age and almost everybody who is older than me never had that that opportunity and therefore they're bringing that baggage to this hmm. to this conversation and it kind of reminds me there's a cool art exhibit in Denver right now called happy cities I believe and they have an exhibit down at Union Station and there's a big sign you know like Union Station it's a train station Uh so there's like a baggage drop and now they have an emotional baggage drop (laughs) and and it's such a great concept because when you think about it that's kind of what I'm talking about you need to ditch that baggage that emotional baggage so you can move forward and I think that's one of the benefits that that Millennials do bring to this industry to this conversation um, and to these businesses that they're working for is they just have a more realistic approach. It's not like you're getting high and going to the movies like it used to be because that was a big deal because you acquired this substance illicitly and then you had to go to the, into the public and that was against the law, you know. And, and But for millennials, it's just going to the movies, yeah. you know. And I, and I think it's a, it's a big role in normalizing, but I also think that perspective that they bring is just so valuable. I mean... Here I am uh, owning a marketing agency and admitting that I'm not great at doing Instagram stories. You know, you, you know damn well if you go to Grasslands Agency on Instagram, it's one of my millennial colleagues running that shit and she's doing a great job. And, and, and God, this is a skill set because being a journalist, I remember when, you know, of course, I joined Twitter relatively early and nobody else was on there and therefore it was a lot less interesting. Um, but I'm thankful to have learned that skill set. But I remember those early days when social media coordinator suddenly became a legitimate position yeah. that Fortune 500 companies were hiring for. And inherently, I, I would say 
in general, 25-year-olds are always going to be better at social media than 45-year-olds. And, and it doesn't stop there because I think that perspective really infiltrates every aspect from e-commerce to retail store design. I mean, everything is changing with this, with this new, with the new rise of this generation. And thank goodness, because it needed to change. And, and I think they're bringing a lot of fresh perspectives to the mix. I respect that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's huge. There's a lot of like technology needs and stuff, and I see that with a lot of the people I work with. It was crazy one day, even at the farm where I work, we're all just walking around, and there's a group of like four of us, and we were all kind of looking at each other, like, "How old are you? How old are you?" And we started asking each other. We were all the same age, within like a year of each other, and here we are, kind of leading this movement and kind of responsible for something that's kind of a big deal. Um, to us and there's a lot of pressure on us there's a lot of legal pressures like if we mess up you know there's certain implications you know is the federal government going to crack down today and are we are going to well, are we going to end up in jail and being trucked on a bus for you know drug charges or something for operating a legal marijuana farm in Colorado um, so it almost made us like mature a lot faster I feel like and grow up and realize that this is a very serious thing still and there's a lot on our shoulders that we have to do to move this forward it's not all fun and games but at the same time we are having fun with it um, and so I think the biggest hurdle that we have to get past is proving to older generations that we have the stamina and we have the, the knowledge and the willpower and I guess the dedication and all those things needed to help progress us forward and we just need them to trust us. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be honest, millennials have a bad rap, right? Absolutely. <laughs> lazy. Lazy, all this like, stuff. Oh, it's so unnecessary and I'm, I've been glad to see the media cycle turn around to, yeah. To, to recognize that there's a lot of like hard workers and workaholics and talented individuals out there. It's just so ridiculous. Anytime you're overgeneralizing anything, you know, it's like, just don't, just stop. <laughs> That's what we were discussing, you know, when we first started the podcast about millennials and we knew that, I mean, we're both millennials, but it was so hard to attach the word millennials to our podcast because there's that stigma. Um, but at the same point, we're like, well, we are, like, why don't we just change the conversation around millennials too, like we're doing cannabis. Um, and that's part of why we do what we do is to showcase and put out there that, hey, there's people out there crushing it that are our age. Mm-hmm. And we're on all ladies and I think we're starting to realize that there's a lot more millennials out there that are doing good that people just kind of shove to the side and say, oh, well, you don't fit our equation of millennials being lazy, so we're not going to talk about you. We're just going right. to talk about them. Um, so I appreciate you taking millennials in and offering such a great perspective on them. Well, also, like, everything is secular, right? Mm -hmm. And if you go back to, like, Douglas Copeland's early books, he was the one who ultimately coined the term Generation X because that was the name of one of his novels. Mm -hmm. Um, You go back to those years, whatever that was, I don't remember, I read the book, but, um, you know, Generation X were the slackers and the (laughs) know-nothings and the worthless kids and all that. So it's like... Just wait, you know, there'll be another one, and then suddenly you guys will be this elder statesman. Yeah, 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 that's going to be the next one. Yeah, Yeah, We'll be calling them lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Our day will come, Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) No, you won't, because it'll be me calling them lazy at that time. (laughs) Now I'm like, I love the millennials, oh, but that new generation. (laughs) That next one. All right, well, with that said, um, maybe you have any juicy details for us about the cannabis? Wow, right? Yeah, let's jump into that can of worms. So, you know, I mean, to catch anybody up who's not paying attention, very long story, very short. The Denver Post um, helped me, uh, basically asked me to start the cannabis, and now the Denver Post is in in very real trouble. Um, So 
when I started there 16 years ago, there were about 280 editorial employees, and now there are 60, and they just laid off 30 people. So there was 90, now there's 60. They laid off a third of their editorial staff, and all of this comes down to their hedge fund owner, Alden Global Capital, this evil hedge fund. Um, Really, really bad news. And when they laid off this last 30 people, we knew this was bad news for the cannabis. Um, When I was there, when I left in December of 2016, we had seven full-time people, four editorial and three advertising. And, you know, now, I hate to say it, but about a month ago, we got word that um, the cannabis was losing all full-time staffing and that they were creating some algorithms and bots to auto-populate the site with content that's already being generated by the newspaper's remaining writers and the wire services. And I offered to buy the uh, cannabis. And so we put in an official LOI. Um, You know, and I am dead serious about this. I know some of my friends were like, whoa, you're doing this? And then other friends were like laughing, thinking it was a joke. No, this has always been dead serious. I can't stand to think of a world without a cannabis because Mm -hmm. I know what an original, unique position it fills in this media landscape. And we need it. You know, it's not owned by cannabis industry money. It's owned by a legitimate journalistic institution. Um, It was always practicing legit journalism that was holding uh, industry accountable and regulators accountable, and we need that, and there's definitely not enough of that right now as we're seeing downsizing at the cannabis and green state. And so my main priority is that it lives on. I really hope that the cannabis lives on. Um, and, and I'd love to be a part of the group that makes that happen. And finding uh, the right investors is not a problem. We have so many amazing investors who are passionate about an independent news source covering this industry. That's just not the problem. You know, we have cannabis money. We have non-cannabis money. We have mainstream media money. Uh, titles that you guys definitely know. A top five American newspapers. Mm-hmm newspapers that are from a country to the north of us that are very interested and you know we'll see what ultimately ends up happening but they got my LOI um, which was basically an offer and 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 uh, they were they, they confirmed receipt but that was it and I know it was a very firm uh, I know it's a very fair offer uh, I don't know that they'll want to sell it to me because they, they know I don't like them and I know they don't like me because <laughs> I won't stop saying these kinds of things because they are truly an awful organization. If you're listening to this now and you want to know more, Google Alden Global Capital and you will see the nightmares that these vultural capitalists are are bringing upon uh, American journalism right now because they're the second largest owner of, of, of newspapers in the country. They own a hundred newspapers and they're doing this to all of them. And so, yeah, I very much want to be a part of the cannabis moving forward. You know, this is my baby. This is yeah. my legacy in many ways. And, and I don't want to see it die. Uh, but at the same time, it's not up to me. Um, I, I very much hope that it lives on somehow. And if whoever buys it on the back end wants to bring me around on the end around, hell yeah, count me in. I will invest my own money. I will make this happen. I will invest hours. But even then, I was never going to like be the editor again. Um, I did that. Now I'm really enjoying this communications work. And um, yeah, so I, I would have been like an advisor I don't have time to do that. It's it's a monumental task trying to cover this complex spider web of, right. an, of an industry. But to that that said, I I, I I I do take 
take it seriously that we should support the people who are doing good work. And MJ Biz Daily is, is, is a really notable trade. They're kicking ass and doing great work. And, and Leafly is doing really impressive work. And you know who I'm perhaps most impressed with lately is Herb. Yeah. I mean, six months ago, it was all memes and, and, and like <laughs> random non-vetted recipes. And then suddenly it's like, wait a minute, you're hiring real journalists, which means you're paying real money and they are investing in content. So I'm proud of them. This is very representative of cannabis growing up. Um, but at the same time, going back to our previous conversation about normalization, this is not as interesting as it was in 2013, 2014. And so inevitably, some of these cannabis-specific publications will dry up, will go away, and hopefully it emerges into a leading industry, um, an, an industry that's bringing in the kind of revenue of like an oil and gas or mm -hmm. organic foods. And once that happens, then mainstream media outlets will be forced to cover it with the same ethos that they cover other industries. So that's, that's my kind of hope for it. And, and I know that we're heading that way, but I think now we're in this weird decline where Green State is losing staffers and cannabis and Leafly is going through some buyouts. So it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think there needs to be that, though. So I really hope that something changes and cannabis falls back your way. And I think there's a huge need for fair and balanced coverage, like you said. I mean, on the way up, we were texting about something that's been happening today and going on and in the cannabis industry, and I was joking with her saying, this is something that cannabis would have been covering, 100%. And there's uh, like I a certain... I know what you're talking about. There's a certain <laughs> level, yeah, sure. that it's like there's none of that now. And I wish there was fair and balanced coverage. Um, there's a lot of publications that are all cannabis, and there's a lot that are against cannabis. And I feel like the cannabis did a good job showing both sides and helping to drive that you know, normalization forward. Yeah, thank um, you. So hopefully, you know, I mean, somebody, if somebody's listening out there, there still needs to be somebody educating and drawing both sides together. So hopefully somebody listens and takes heart of that and, and does the good, the good deed for all of us. Well, and it's important to note, too, that, like, the more we hold this industry accountable, the better it becomes. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of people over the years accused me of being anti-industry. And a lot of people accuse me of being pro-industry too, you know, and, and that's really it. When you're a journalist, you know you're doing your job mm -hmm. right if you're getting that kind of well, criticism from both sides of the issue. Yeah. But the more we, we hold this industry accountable and the regulators of this industry, the better we are all off. Because when you think about some of the big stories we did, whether we were testing edibles for potency like it was yeah. seen in the movie, or we were testing pesticides for... Uh, for active ingredient chemicals mm -hmm. like we were talking about before we started uh, the recording you know the this is necessary this is this is coming down to uh, patients health and consumers health and imagine 2014 I mean some people belittle this uh, this laboratory test and, and ultimate like expose that I wrote they're like oh big deal you tested weed cookies and told us that there wasn't as much weed in there as it should have been but I mean imagine it's, a, it's the world's first adult use market we have multiple medical markets so you have a lot of patients who don't want to give their name to the state who are just buying recreationally we know that happens and then these patients are buying these edibles and you know, they're taking 10 milligrams, they're taking 20 milligrams, they're taking 50 milligrams and nothing is happening, and then they buy another brand, yeah, and then they have 50 milligrams, and we know how that yeah. ends, especially for non-consumers exactly. and noobs, so, you know, it, it, it's serious, it really is about 
It's about dosing, it's about medicine, it's about recreational consumption, and it's about our health because there's a reason that Governor Hickenlooper issued an executive order after uh, we just would not let up on the pesticides conversation. I consider that a tremendous pride point. I wasn't trying to take down the industry. I was trying to hold the industry accountable and protect Coloradans' health Definitely. and be the watchdog that a journalist should be. Awesome. No, and I respect that. I mean, I work at a cultivation. I'm like, 100%, please. Because there's some of us that are doing it the right way, and it costs a lot of money to do it the right way. Yes. You can't cut corners. Mm -hmm. And so everybody else should be taking those necessary steps to do it the right way, too, and produce a clean, healthy product. Um, I got into this industry on the medical side, and I have a one of my employees is going has cancer right now, and so he's using RSO, and it's like so important to me. The more I understand about him, and more he tried to utilize cannabis for that, that I understand how important the cannabis, how it's grown, how it's processed, all that really goes into his life. Mm -hmm. And that should I mean it shouldn't just be like one person. It should be all the thousands and millions of people out there using it for a medical purpose. They should have clean cannabis. So what you did was respectable. And thank goodness, like, we didn't know what was going to happen to medical cannabis in those early days, yep. pre-rec, you know? It's like, gosh, is this market going to exist anymore? And obviously it does not exist in Washington State anymore, you yep. know? But thankfully, we're finally getting more research, and with research comes knowledge and data, and it's so encouraging to see things, like even in the Colorado State Legislature, uh, they passed, um, what was it, the uh, autism bill. Yep. Um, and now it's sitting on the governor's desk and unfortunately I heard today that he might not sign it and that's that's really really bad news um, but you know I mean how great is it that we were able to push an autism bill adding that to our list of medical conditions in 2018 we just need more research and then governors like Hickenlooper or Cuomo in New York will not be able to use this as a as, as a scapegoat or an out by saying, oh, well, we just don't know, so I'm not going to sign this. And, and, and let it be known, he has not signed it or not signed it. I'm just hearing that he might not. So, I, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled because, not about that, but because we keep learning more about what cannabis can be a truly efficacious substance to treat these conditions. It's, it's so necessary and and, uh, and, and, and needed, especially in this world with opioid abuse and yep. so much more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So education, the future, that's what is needed the most, I think. Education, education, education. And we can't educate <laughs> unless we know about it. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I heard somebody say this in 2014, and I keep repeating it, and I wish I knew who said it, but... There's more about marijuana that we don't know than what we do. Absolutely. It's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's so much more to come. Especially because some of us are daily consumers, yeah. you know? And, and There's still no long-term studies. None. How does it affect us? We don't know. You know, and yet, <laughs> back in the, what was it, the 60s or 70s, they did these massive long-term studies involving not a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people, literally 60,000, 70,000 people on um, nicotine's effect on the body, smoking's effect on the lungs, alcohol consumption's effect on the body. And that's why we know so much about that. So I just wanna, I don't wanna fast forward through these exciting years, but um, I, I do wanna just, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. In the early days of 2014, imagine trying to be a journalist right. and putting into context <laughs> yeah. this massive experience, experiment, crazy. experience, uh -huh. and, and everybody's like, well, what does it mean? 
and, and here I am talking to the chief of police in Denver about crime and talking to the head of the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment about teen use, talking to the head of CDOT about stoned driving, and we knew nothing. Yeah. They knew nothing. And even now, four years into it, five years into it, they'll tell you that they, they know nothing yeah. because they at least need another five or ten years yeah. of data to be able to say something definitive um, from a scientifically, uh, statistically significant perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and, and thankfully, at least all the data that we do have is, for the most part, trending really good. And it's <laughs> kind of like the cannabis industry's opportunity to say, hey, I told you so. Mm -hmm. You know, teen use in every... Um, every legal recreational market is either level from those uh, data points in pre-recreational days or it's actually going down. You know, stone driving isn't, isn't the boogeyman that it was taught, it, it was, it was uh, told to be. But at the same time, I think we have a lot of education yeah. needed in that space. And that brings up a whole other can of words <laughs> about like, should we be allowed to drive right. on, under the influence of cannabis? And I know a lot of advocates have strong feelings. I'm of the belief that right now we should not be able to do that. It's a psychoactive substance. I know caffeine is too, but I just know uh, how I feel after a 10, 15 milligram edible. And I know I shouldn't be behind the wheel at that point. Right. So okay. we have our own personal experiences from which to draw. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. All right. Well, with that said, yeah. Ricardo, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, to say this was a dream come true is an understatement for uh, sure. So we appreciate thanks. it. Thank you for everything. This is amazing. So and amazing. I'm, what is 2020 going to be like? Every two <laughs> years from now. Oh, my goodness. We'll see. We'll, we'll reconvene in 2020 and see. <laughs> we'll see where Grasslands and Ricardo Baca is. Let's get back together then. Looking forward to <laughs> And the rest of us. Well, I appreciate everything you've done, not just for me personally and Lucy and this podcast, but the industry and the world as a whole, I think. I think you've been fair and balanced, and you've done it the right way. And I just, like, I really respect what you do. And I hope anybody listening, if they don't know who Ricardo Baca is, you should. Look him um, up. You should respect his work and... And definitely, uh, and definitely build off of what he's done. So, Well, great hanging with you guys. I look forward to the next one. All right. Thank I'm you lucid. so much. All right. And I'm Lit. And I'm Lucid. And this is the Lit and Lucid podcast, episode 10. Catch you guys later. Laters.